We're going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter 3 today. We have the, the notes up there. And, uh, and just be in prayer. You know, we're still looking for a place to call our own, if that's what God's will is. But at this point, it looks like the only places we could actually afford with the proper parking and stuff like that is probably in the Port Orchard area. So that'd be a big decision for us to move from Bremerton to Port Orchard. So be in prayer about that. Let us know if that's something like, oh, no, no, let's, you know, if you think we ought to just stay in Bremerton, then, you know, let it be known. But there's a good chance we, we probably won't get our own place if we stay put. And that might be God's will. But uh, but just keep that in prayer. Uh, it'd be nice to have a place that we could call home and store food for people who need it and have Bible studies throughout the week and things of that sort. But uh, but we don't want to make a move or we're going to lose you know, some of our people and stuff, so, and, uh, but just keep that in prayer, really appreciate it. Now, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, um, you know, my, my plan is to get through the whole chapter today, and usually when I plan something like that, it doesn't happen, we get it partially, you know, through there and stuff like that, so we'll just, uh, we'll just pray that, that God has me, uh, preach from uh, the passage that he wants me to preach from today. and uh, But let's go to the Lord in a, in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord, and we, I just thank you so much, Lord, for this, this spiritual family, this spiritual family that's closer to me than, than even my physical family. And um, I thank you, Lord, that uh, our unity is not in, in our own agendas, our unity uh, is in your your son and the mind of Christ. And so I pray that you keep us united, whether Jew or Gentile, you make your church united throughout the world, whether male or female or black or white, whatever we may be, that we would be united in Christ, that Jesus is our unity. And so I pray, Lord, that as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, that you would anoint me to proclaim your truth that your spirit would empower me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word and then empower us to apply these truths to our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3. I titled this The Mystery of the Church. And... um, and it's, you know, it's interesting because 2,000 years later, after Paul's writing this, I'm looking at this and saying, man, does he really have to hammer this point home this much? And the answer is yes. He's got to, that, that, you know, you know, at first, the one true faith, once we fell in the garden, it was the promise of a suffering Savior and animal sacrifice pointing to the day when the suffering Savior would come. That was the one true faith. And God progressively revealed more things to mankind as time went on. But there'd be a man born of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent and redeem us. That's Genesis 3.15. You know, and God, you know, eventually, uh, you know, things got wicked. There was the flood. But even after the flood with Abraham, there was Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. But eventually God founded his own nation. And so through the nation of Israel, you had a recovery of the one true faith. And, um, uh, but with more information progressively revealed. And then when, when Jesus came, then you had the fulfillment of Judaism. And now salvation goes to all mankind, Jew and Gentile. But there was a time period where the Jews alone were the custodians of the one true faith. And they were entrusted with the word of God. They were entrusted with the covenants. They were entrusted with the prophecies. Okay? And now the gospel's gone to all mankind. And that was hard even for the Gentiles to understand. That, you know, it used to be Gentiles could get saved, like, like Ruth and Rahab the harlot. Gentiles could get saved, and Uriah the Hittite, they could get saved in the Old Testament. But they had to get circumcised, if they were male, get circumcised and convert to Judaism. And now we reach a point where you don't have to convert to Judaism to be saved. You get to trust in the Lord Jesus, who's the Jewish Messiah, but the Savior of all mankind. And, um, 
Now, where have we been in Ephesians so far? Paul talked about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ in the heavenly realm. That's going to, you know, read those, those first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1 over and over again. Uh, we're losing our material blessings in America. We're losing our material freedoms and blessings uh, here on planet Earth. That all could be taken from you. But they can't take Jesus from us. Okay? They can't take our spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly realm. So you might think, well, I, you know, I don't like specializing that. I don't think about that much. You better start thinking about that. That's all you got. Okay? Everything else is going to be taken away. And then Paul taught to us that though we were dead in our sins, we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, and that Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ. We're members of God's household. No longer do the Gentiles have to convert to Judaism uh, to be of the household of God. Now Jew and Gentile can be saved through Christ. And the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the New Testament prophets. And, of course, they taught. That's the, they gave us the New Testament. And they taught us that the Old Testament's God's word without error. So this is the foundation of the church right here. The teachings of the apostles and the prophets with uh, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, that which holds the whole foundation together. Okay? And, um, you know, there's a lot of people, whether they be uh, uh, Roman Catholics or Greek Orthodox, where they're all into apostolic succession. You know, were you appointed and trained for ministry by a guy who was appointed and trained for ministry going all the way back, supposedly, to Peter and the apostles? Well, that... That line is really, to be totally honest with you, the, the, the first generation or two of that, that line is really called, can be called into question as far as the, the bishops of Rome. Uh, but whatever the case, it's not apostolic succession. Apostolic succession was important the first three or four centuries of Christianity because not every church had a copy of all 66 books of the Bible. So you can walk up to a guy... Um, named Irenaeus, and he could say, well, I was trained by Polycarp, and Polycarp never taught this false stuff. And Polycarp was trained by the Apostle John, who was trained by Jesus. You know, but once you get uh, copies of the scriptures around, the main thing is not, apostolic succession is only important if it's proclaiming apostolic doctrine. Just read Acts chapter 2, verses 40 to 47. And so we gather in a church. Where, where is our authority? Is, you know, is our authority that, you know, Pastor Phil was um, ordained by a guy who was ordained by a guy who was ordained by a guy that all the way goes, goes all the way back to Peter or Paul? No. And by the way, anybody who claims that cannot really, there, there's gaps in that so-called genealogy. Um, our authority is that we preach the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets. Our authority is the word of God. It's called sola scriptura. Okay? Um, you realize when you say, well, it's the scripture plus church tradition, and only the church can interpret the scripture, you realize that over the centuries, the Roman Catholic Church has actually, actually executed people for trying to translate the Bible out of Latin. They translated it into Latin. They wanted to translate out of Latin into the language of the people. And the Roman Catholic Church said, no, people can't be trusted to study the Bible on their own. Now, because we believe the Bible is the ultimate authority, it's my prayer that when you go home, you reread the passage that I preached on, and you try to decide, study the Word. The Word is the final authority, not man. And you try to determine, is Pastor Phil, was he right today? This Sunday. Because it's like Paul says, let God be true and, and every man a liar. But the foundation of the church, the apostles and the New Testament prophets, and of course they taught us, that, as did Jesus, that the Old Testament is God's word without error, and then Jesus is the chief cornerstone, so our faith is built upon the word of God. Okay? So I don't believe, you know, Mary was assumed into heaven, and Mary... Uh, 
was immaculately conceived. I don't pray to the saints, and I don't think we should. We stick to the Bible for our teachings. And, um, and so Paul's saying that both Jew and Gentile form the one household of God, uh, the, this temple of God, the body of Christ, the church, and the apostles and prophets are the, are the foundation with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Now look at what Paul says and uh, in verse 1. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, for what reason? Well, what I just said, what Paul's been talking about for the last few chapters, and now Jew and Gentile, one household to God. Well, because of this, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, okay, we're going to stop there. So Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ, the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles, okay? Now, when you read that, you, you think for a minute, well, did Jesus lock him up? No. How could he be a prisoner of Christ? Um, it was actually, you know, what, you know why, why call yourself a prisoner of Christ? What about being a prisoner of the Romans? Uh, the Jewish religious leaders got mad at him in Jerusalem, and, um, and they, they pretty much locked him up. The Romans had to come and, and come in and protect him from being torn apart. And then eventually he appeals his case to Rome. And uh, so Paul pretty much is, this is his first Roman imprisonment, by the way. He, after the book of Acts, he's released and then uh, does some more preaching and then gets rearrested and then has a second Roman imprisonment where he eventually is put to death. But here his first... Roman imprisonment, he's a prisoner of Rome in the eyes of the world. But Paul knew Rome's not in charge. Rome thinks they're in charge, but Rome's not in charge. You know, we got people who think America's in charge, we got people who think China's in charge. We got people who thinks the UN is in charge. I'm telling you, the only power they have is what power God chooses to allow them to have. And Paul understood that. Paul said, yeah, I'm a prisoner of the Romans, but only because the Lord Jesus allowed them to imprison me. And um, because Paul was imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, he was arrested for preaching the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. Uh, but Paul was not ashamed. This is like... a you know, if you're in prison for preaching the gospel, you're going to be tempted by the demonic realm, by Satan and his demons, into, you know, being ashamed of that. Saying, yeah, I'm a prisoner. I never thought I'd go to prison, but here I am in prison. And Paul's not. Paul wears it like a badge of courage. Paul's like saying, yeah, I'm, I'm a prisoner of Christ. And I am not ashamed. Look at Second uh, Timothy, chapter one. Second Timothy, chapter one, and verse twelve. Now, this is Paul's second Roman imprisonment. Back in Ephesians, it's the first time he's in prison. Second Roman imprisonment, they ended up killing him. They beheaded him shortly after he wrote Second Timothy. But during his second Roman imprisonment, Paul says this, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why is Paul not ashamed to be a prisoner? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Okay? He said, I'm not ashamed to be in prison. Um, for preaching the gospel, because I know him. I know Jesus. And he's able to protect me and guard me until that day. That's why he could view himself as a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of Rome. Because if Christ wants him out, he's out. And the first time he was in prison in Rome, Christ wanted him out so he could preach some more. The second time he was in prison in Rome, uh, when, when Christ wanted him out, Christ wanted him in his presence in heaven. But he understood, Paul understood 
who's in charge. I don't think we do. I know I have issues with it. I always feel like, oh, no. Now the uh, neo-Marxist uh, party in America, they want to they unethically add four justices to the Supreme Court. They want to add, make Washington, D.C. a state. This is going to lock us in to neo-Marxist slavery for generations to come. Assuming Jesus tarries, oh no, you know, and I, and I got to remind myself, Joe Biden's not in charge. Okay, okay, just like when Donald Trump was the president. I like Trump. I don't like Biden. Uh, but even when Trump was the president, Trump wasn't in charge. Okay, and uh, and I'm not even talking about the Bill Gates of this world. The, the uh, was the Klaus Schwab from the uh, World Economic Forum and the these billionaires and Soros? These they're not even. They think they're in charge. They're not in charge. I know who's in charge. And because I know who's in charge, you know what? You beat me up. You imprison me. You execute me, and I'm not ashamed because my boss wins. In fact, my boss has already won through his death and resurrection. He's just got to come back for what's rightfully his. And I'm glad he's patient. If he came before 1981, I'd be on the wrong side of that deal. Okay? And um, there's a few people out there right now. If Jesus came back right now, they'd be on the wrong side of that deal. So I'm glad that we got a patient God. my king is king of kings my king is the lord of lords okay he's going to come back he's going to make things right he's going to shepherd the nations with an iron rod you think my king is intimidated by Joe Biden you think uh, you think all these you know with the AOC lady Maxine Waters and all these people encouraging people to commit violent acts. You think that scares Jesus? This world, just, they, just, they just don't get We've got to love them. We've got to be patient with them. Like Jesus was patient with us before we got saved. He's patient with us even after we got saved. But the world needs to understand. The lamb who was slain is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Peter, Paul, and John. And what a privilege, what an honor for us to say. And he's our God too. And so we can rejoice with the saints of old who were imprisoned and battered and beaten and died. And it's not just the saints of old, by the way. Spoiled Americans, we're all spoiled Americans. What about our, uh, the saints in China? The saints in, uh, in African countries right now that are being persecuted. And in India, um, it comes with the turf. And, uh, and Paul could say, you know, I'm not ashamed. So Paul boasts, yeah, I'm, hey, I'm a prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. You know, we should not be ashamed either. It's, it's, Take a look at just Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Therefore, Jesus is speaking, therefore whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So the easy thing to say is, well, wait a minute. You don't understand, Jesus. If I confess you before men, they're going to throw me in jail. They're going to fire me. They're not going to let me travel. Jesus doesn't, doesn't say, well, yeah, if you confess, confess me before men if they let you. No, Jesus is not intimidated by the leaders of this world. And um, so are you, are you one of those who's ashamed 
to confess Jesus before others. And by the way, I'm not saying you've got to be loud. Okay? Believe, believe me, you don't have to be loud anymore for people to figure out you're a Christian. Every time they open your mouth, every time they open their mouth, they say something anti-Christian. And if you just say, "Well, um, I don't agree with that," and then you get called every name in the book, guess what? You're confessing Jesus before men. Amen. You think we don't stick out like a sore thumb? Just go outside a little bit, okay? And um, and so, whatever the case, we should be willing, like Paul to suffer for Christ. But look, look at what he says there in Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's wearing like a badge of honor, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, why? For you Gentiles. Why? Because he's preaching to the Gentiles. Okay? So we should be willing, not only, we should not be ashamed of Christ, we should be willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel, to suffer for Christ, but we should also be willing to suffer for the people we serve. You know, uh, if Paul said, you know what, if I just shut up and didn't preach the gospel, do you really realize if Paul didn't preach the gospel to the Gentiles, a lot of the Jews wouldn't even have been upset with him. They'd just say, well, there's that kook who thinks Jesus is the Messiah, but other than that, he's a good Jewish guy. But once you go to the Gentiles and you preach to them, and you say, oh, and by the way, you don't have to become Jews to be saved. Then all of a sudden, uh, he's Mr. Mr. Unpopular. And, uh, but we should be willing to suffer a loss of freedom, even a loss of our well-being, a loss of our lives. We should be willing to suffer for Jesus and for the people whom God has called us to serve. Okay, and, um, you know, Corey Boom was willing to suffer for Jesus, but she was also willing to suffer for the innocent Jews that she hid in her house. And she ended up going to a concentration camp where her sister died. Her dad got so sick they released him, and then he died. She was released on a clerical error. But Paul could say, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's saying, look, I'm in, the Romans have imprisoned me. The Jewish religious leaders don't like me, but Jesus is in charge. And so, um, you know, and then, you know, a lot of prisoners and, you know, a lot of inmates in prison, they, they, they often align themselves to different groups for protection. And um, a, lot, a lot of times it's racism or gang-related, and you align with this group so this other group doesn't beat you up and... All this other stuff, and uh, I remember what a, uh, a mafia leader, John Gotti, who was head of the Gambino family. He went to prison, and so the the white Aryan supremacists told him, "You got to pay us for protection." And um, and he said, "No, I'm John Gotti. I don't need your protection." So they beat him up to like within an inch of his life. So he had to make a few phone calls, and some of his. They'd have pulled a few strings to get some of his mafia guys in the same prison with them to get him protected. So there's different, you identify with different groups and this and that, okay? Well, Paul's just walking down a, well, actually, he's under house arrest at this point, but there were times when he was in dungeons and stuff, but he could be around other prisoners and say, well, who are you affiliated with? It's not MS-13. It's not the Bloods or the Crips. It's like the white Aryan supremacists. Who are you affiliated with? I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if an MS-13 member doesn't tremble when he hears that, he ought to tremble. Because he's ignorant if he thinks MS-13 has more power than Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the government's going to try to come down hard on us and um, and they're going to act like you should fear us. And they'd be like, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I got spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You ought to fear him. Okay? And, um, you know, they used to talk about how, you know, all these 
old movies in the 1950s of UFOs landing. The aliens come out and say, take us to your leader. Man, we need to live to take people to our leader. Our leader is good. What did C.S. Lewis say in Chronicles of Narnia that he is, he is good, but he is not tame. He is not tame, MS-13. He is not tame, American government. He's not tame, United Nations. You mess with him enough, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down. And Jesus will come and take a stand upon the earth. You suffer for the cause of the gospel. you got nothing to be ashamed of. Peter talks about that a lot in one of his epistles. And he said, if you're suffering for wrongdoing, you deserve it. Stop whining. Stop crying. But if you're suffering for the cause of the gospel, that ought to be on you. We ought to get business cards. If, we're, if we get locked up for preaching Jesus, get a business card. Prisoner Phil Fernandez, prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you put in, in for Trinity Bible Fellowship with the people God's called you to serve. And we've got to remember who's in charge we got to never be uh, ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Ephesians 3, and then uh, verses 1 to 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, Earlier on, he talked about the mystery of the church where, where Gentiles would not have to get circumcised and become Jews to be part of the household of God. Okay? It's like that mystery. Jesus, Jesus actually revealed that mystery to the Samaritan woman. You know, she's saying, well, we Samaritans, we're not allowed in the temple. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. We built an alternative temple here in Samaria. Who's right? And Jesus is saying, a time is coming and now is when you'll neither worship God in Jerusalem nor on his temple, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. He was giving her a little, little bit of information that wasn't found in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was like, go to the temple. Go to Jerusalem. Go to the temple. Jesus is there and is like, I'm the temple. The temple in Jerusalem was just a type of me. I'm the real temple. And, uh, and so, uh, but Paul's mission, he's a, a steward. He's been given a dispensation or a stewardship, uh, administration. He's been given a, a position of authority. Um, oikonomia is the word in the Greek. It means the management of household affairs. So it's kind of like God's got a house and... He tells Paul, you're going to be my steward. I'm going to put you in charge to manage the household affairs, okay, while I'm gone. And so Paul is a steward of God's grace uh, to make known the mystery of the church. And he says that he found out about the mystery of the church. And, of course, the mystery of the church, Jew and Gentiles, equal heirs and salvation. But that was made known to Paul by revelation, you see, when Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, that was not the only time Jesus appeared to Paul. Now, we know on the road to Damascus, he appeared bodily to him because it's included in the ancient creed, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. Uh, but he may have appeared sometimes in visions or in dreams or whatever, but Paul received numerous revelations from Jesus. So most of the information he got, I think, was just when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you, Lord? And so I'm Jesus of Nazareth. He was like, okay, I need a whole new hermeneutic, a whole new way to interpret the scriptures now. Instead of interpreting them legalistically, looking for rules and regulations and technicalities, I need to look for Jesus in the Old Testament. And um, I think that one meeting right there caused enough for Paul to think through stuff but there were even times when Jesus would reveal to him. I mean, with the um, ancient creed, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, he says, I pass on to you what I also received. 
He didn't say he got that from the Lord. So he probably got that ancient creed from meeting with James and Peter three years after he got saved. But what about 1 Corinthians 11? Um, 1 Corinthians 11, and, you know, I'm speculating a little here, but it's interesting on the, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, what we read whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And then he quotes the account of the Lord's Supper. But who did he say he got it from? The Lord. Was Paul there at the Last Supper? No. So apparently in some revelation from Jesus, Jesus gave him the account of the Last Supper. And, um, and by the way, it shows up in whose gospel? Luke's. And Luke was a colleague. The, word, the words that are used there are precisely from Luke's gospel, which Luke was Paul's colleague, and Paul probably commissioned Luke uh, to write, to research and write that gospel. Um, but whatever the case, you know, Jesus was in communication with Paul and revealed these things to Paul. As, as Jesus was revealing through the power of the Holy Spirit, many things to the New Testament prophets. You know, last week we mentioned just some of the New Testament prophets, you know, by name, uh, from the book of Acts. And uh, so now Paul's going to talk about what was revealed to him, the mystery uh, of, of Christ, the mystery of the church, in, in verses 4 to 6. Look at verses 4 and 5 first. And so the mystery is made known to him by which you, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, to his holy apostles and prophets. Again, those guys who were the foundation um, of the church. Okay? And... Um, and so this was unknown. This mystery was unknown in the Old Testament, but God made it known by his spirit to the apostles and prophets. Just read the book of Acts and you'll see they got the memo. It, it took a while for some of them. Peter, three times God had to give a message. It's okay to eat unclean Gentile food now. Why did God give Peter that message three times? Does God waste time? No. God gave Peter that message three times because he needed to, to, to see it and to hear it three times. That's how set he was in his ways. He said, Lord, I've never eaten unclean animals. And God's telling him, well, I'm telling you to start eating unclean animals. Spend some time with the Gentiles. Then he even went back on that. Paul had to correct him in Antioch, Assyria. And, uh, but they got the memo. Some of them it was a little tougher for them to get than it was for Paul. But this mystery... Uh, of Christ, this mystery of the church, the Greek word for mystery is musterion, musterion, and don't get, don't get hung up in the mysteries. For the most part, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, a guy will get saved on Monday, and on Tuesday he comes across the word mystery in the New Testament, and he's coming up with all this wise speculation what the mystery could be. Gee, I wonder what that is. Maybe God's gifted me to be, uh, some modern-day prophet who's going to figure out what this mystery is. And I love solving mysteries. And here's a mystery in the New Testament, so it must be an unsolved mystery. Okay? Um, the, yeah, I, you know, and, and by the way, I, I love detective shows and stuff like that. And I used to love unsolved mysteries, you know, that, that show. But... Um, is, I don't want to disappoint you, but there's no unsolved mysteries in the Bible. Anytime it mentions the word mystery, uh, a mystery in the Bible is something that was unknown in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the New Testament. Okay? And um, now like the seven thunders, I don't know what the seven thunders are in the book of Je Revelation, but God's word doesn't call it a mystery. But all the, all the things that are called mysteries... They were things that were mysteries and unknown. Hidden knowledge from the Old Testament revealed in the New Testament. Don't become a Gnostic. 
trying to find hidden mysteries about God from his supposed secret, the secret teachings of Jesus to Thomas. You know, all kinds of bogus writings and stuff. Jesus didn't have any secret teachings. He even said when he was on trial, everything I said, I said publicly. Why do you need witnesses to try to twist out of context what I've said? I've said everything. I've said it in public. And um, so these mysteries were unknown in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New Testament. What is this mystery? Verse 6 tells us that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Okay, And so the mystery is that through the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection, through the gospel, Gentiles have become equal heirs with the Jews. It's not like we're second-class sons, like the sons of Leah felt like they were second-class sons because Jacob, their dad, didn't love Leah as much as he loved Rachel. And then some of the sons of Jacob were sons to uh, two concubines two uh, maids um, who were given to him by his wives to produce children for them, but the, the guys, the, their, their moms were like wives without rights. And, um, and now uh, Jesus is saying, that the, the, Paul's saying this mystery is that the Gentiles become equal heirs with the Jews. You don't have to apologize for being a Gentile. Now there's still some physical promises to the Jews that Jewish believers in Christ, if you're Jewish and you're not a believer in Christ, you're toast like the rest of the, like the Gentiles that don't believe in Christ. But if you're Jewish and you believe in Christ, there's some physical promises that are dealing with the Holy Land. You know? I'm not, I'm not expecting a piece of land and uh, some authoritative, some position of authority in, in Israel. Okay? You know, I might get... Uh, I'll be, I'll be perfectly happy to get, you know, Jesus appoints me the, the head of one block in Newark, New Jersey, or, or, or Gorst, you know. I mean, I just want to be there with, the, with my king. Um, but as far as the spiritual promises uh, in Jesus through Abraham, um, we're all sons and daughters of Abraham through faith in Christ and on those spiritual promises. Um, so through the Gospels, Gentiles are equal heirs with the Jews. Both are members of one body, the church. Okay? One body. Jew and Gentile, one body. Um, Gentiles share with the Jews the promises of salvation in Jesus. You know, remember, it's talking about, you know, God's going to bless Abraham, make him a mighty nation, give him the promised land. And then God says, and in your seed... All nations will be blessed. That's where it kicks in for the Gentiles. Why? Who's Abraham's seed according to Paul and Galatians? Abraham's seed is Jesus. One seed, not many seeds, is the Lord Jesus. And through Jesus we're blessed salvation, but then also the kingdom of God coming to earth. And Jesus will reign from Jerusalem but he will reign over all the nations and shepherd them with an iron rod and peace will come. We all want world peace. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like the um, climate change stuff. I don't want pollution. I want good weather. Okay? I want a productive and fruitful earth. I just disagree with the other guys. I think they're telling me stories. I don't think a lot of the climate change, I think, don't think... Most of it is not man-made. They haven't convinced me that it's man-made. So I don't think we need to go to a global socialistic um, state. So, so I want world peace. I just don't believe the UN is going to pull it off, especially when most of their, most of their members are the, of... I mean, you, you add up the leaders in the United Nations, and it's probably responsible for, for quite a few millions of deaths of innocent people in the regimes they come from. Why should I trust them? And um, but we'll get peace. Our peace will come. Because in Abraham's seed, all nations will be blessed. Peace with God, salvation, and peace among man when Jesus returns as the Prince of Peace to shepherd the nations 
with an iron rod. And so through the gospel, Gentiles are equal heirs with the Jews. We're members of one body, the church. The Gentiles share with Jews the promises of salvation in Jesus. And so Gentiles do not have to convert to Judaism to get saved. Okay? So, you know, there's physical Jews who also become spiritual Jews by trusting in Jesus. Then there's physical Jews that are not spiritual Jews, that they're lost. There's physical Gentiles who don't trust in Jesus. So, you know, physical Gentiles do not, you're not a spiritual Jew if you don't trust in Jesus. And so, um, and so the key is trust in the Lord Jesus and then we're one in, in the church. Now, Paul's saying all this now. He, it seems like every time Paul's saying, you know, every time he's saying something, that means like, wow, this dude's got reason to brag. He always reminds people that he considers himself the least in God's kingdom. You know, um, and, and by the way, it's, you know, Paul's saying, look, God revealed to me through revelations what was unknown to the Old Testament saints. Moses didn't know it. Abraham didn't know it. Elijah didn't know it. King David didn't know it. And God revealed that mystery to me. Now you know what most of us would say? Even most of us Christians. Big deal. You know why? Because we don't see things from God's perspective. From God's perspective, that's like, wow, God revealed this to you, Paul, and to the other apostles and prophets? This is amazing. If we look at things from God's perspective, this is amazing. And so Paul's thinking, if these people, if the Ephesians are hungry for God, they're going to think, wow, this is so amazing. Paul, you're a rock star. And so what does Paul have to do when he says, look, I received a mighty revelation, but I want to remind you that God gets all the glory. You know, that's why God left the thorn in his flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, so that in his weakness, God would be strong. And he would see that God's grace is sufficient for him. And uh, so Paul's humility, verses 7 and 8, um, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power, his dynamite, his, his dunamis. We get our word dynamite from that. So he became a minister. Why? Because he was so smart? No. He became a minister of the gospel. It was a gift to him by God's grace. And he was, and it was by God's power. And then in verse eight, he says, "To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." So Paul says, "Look, you know what? Yeah, I was given a pretty, pretty big ministry to preach to the Gentiles." The mystery that Jew and Gentile can now be one in Christ, one body of believers. That's some pretty big stuff. But I want you to know, Ephesians, God gets all the glory. This was by God's power and by God's grace. It's by God's power and God's grace. Any, any good thing that we can do that is acceptable to God, not just acceptable by man, but acceptable to God. That's by God's power. That's by the Holy Spirit working in us. You know? Any, anything good you could say about Phil Fernandez, those are the changes God made in Phil Fernandez. It's not Phil Fernandez doing it. So the reason for Paul's powerful ministry and the revelations he received was God's power and God's grace. You see, we, we not only receive God's salvation, we not only receive salvation by God's grace and power, we also receive our ministry by God's grace and power. Let me repeat that. We not only receive salvation by God's grace, we don't deserve it, it's a gift, by God's grace and power, 
He has the power to save. We don't have the power to save ourselves, but we also receive our ministry by God's grace and power. And the day we forget that, you know, this is why Jesus said that, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, human pride, we want that to say, well, apart from me, you could do a little bit of stuff I would accept. No, that's, that's Cain's religion. So apart from me, you can do nothing. You want what you earn, it's called hell. But not, so not only did I not earn the salvation I received, that was done for me by God's power and by God's grace. I did not earn it, I don't deserve it. Guess what? As your pastor here at Trinity Bible Fellowship and as the Bible teacher at Cross Point, I don't deserve that. And I didn't do that through my own power either. Okay? Whatever your ministry is, you didn't deserve it. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, you didn't earn it, and you didn't bring it about by your own power. It was a free gift given to you by God. But whatever ministry you have, by the way, there's, there's two kinds of Christians. Okay? Those who know the ministry that God's given them, and those who are unaware of the ministry God's given them. So it's not like, okay, two kinds of Christians. Those who have a ministry uh, from God, a mission from God, and those who don't. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have a mission from God. But some of us haven't figured out what that mission is. And, uh, and, and by the way, sometimes it's not because you're not doing it. Sometimes you're doing it and you're just walking in the Spirit and you're just not even aware you know, I ask people, who's in your mission field? I don't think I have anybody in my mission field. It takes me 10 minutes asking them a few questions. Who comes to you for spiritual advice? Who are you praying for to either that they come to Christ or that they grow in the Lord? Who comes to you with Bible questions? Um, what people in your neighborhood are you looking after? Maybe they're getting too old to look after themselves. And you start finding out. The guy, the guy finds out he's got, like... 17 people in his mission field. And I said, whoa, dude, you're trying to outdo Jesus here. You need, to, you need to delegate some of that authority. You're actually trying to make a disciple more. Um, you know, Jesus, he's with the 70 disciples. He probably had his 12 apostles help him, delegated authority. And, uh, but think small. Think about that small you know, mission field that we have. But keep in mind, just as salvation was a free gift, your ministry was a free gift too. By the way, any, any godly preacher, any godly pastor that's out there, will, if you're godly and you're seeking the Lord and His will, you're going to feel like, man, I am not up to the task. I am not worthy for this task. Well, good. That's a biblical truth. You're not worthy to serve God. It is an honor to serve Jesus. Now, I'm telling you, it's, it would be hard for me to acknowledge this, but this is a true statement. If I got arrested right now for preaching the gospel and even got beat up in a prison cell for preaching the gospel, you know, I'd be probably more likely to say, Lord, why me? Why did, what did I do to bring this on myself and all this other stuff? When in reality, the biblical, I mean, we don't look for trouble, but when we get it for preaching Jesus, we ought to be thanking God for the honor. To be in that list of millions upon millions of saints throughout the centuries, and even the Old Testament saints who have suffered for preaching the gospel. And um, so the reason for Paul's ministry was God's power and, and grace. Paul says he's the least of God's people. Why? Because he persecuted the church before he got saved. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1 and verses 12 to 15. Paul says this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. See, Jesus empowered him. Because he counted me faithful 
putting me into the ministry. See, Jesus is the one that has empowered him for the ministry. It was, it was a gift. It wasn't something he deserved. And he says, for, you know, for Jesus, for putting him into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, spoke against God, a persecutor, he persecuted the church, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to, into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Okay? So Paul, he's talking about, look, God's power and God's grace is what it took to save us, but it's also God's power and God's grace that selects us for ministry and empowers us for ministry. Okay? And if somebody said, well, you know, I'm a pastor and I've been a pastor for years, but I just, I just can't do it. I just, I mean, it just, it's just too tough. Well, of course you can't do it. If God's not the one who's doing it through you, maybe you shouldn't be in the ministry. Now, believe me, if you're serving the Lord and you're getting battered and beaten and you need a shoulder to cry on, you, you got a shoulder. Right now it's my right shoulder. My left shoulder is killing me right now. But, but, um, but you got a shoulder to cry on. Everybody has the First Kings 19 moment. Okay, even John the Baptist had a First Kings 19 moment. That, you know, that was when Elijah is like, oh, I just want to battle, wiped out all these prophets of Baal, and then he's running from Jezebel. Oh, she wants to kill me, and this and that. And God was very, very gentle with them. John the Baptist was like, you know what? Jesus isn't even building an army. So he sent his guys, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we wait for another? We all have those moments. That just, we just get burnt out serving the king. But after, after you hug a, a brother or sister in the Lord who's kind of battered and beaten, you got to then remind them that the reason why they have that ministry is because of God's power and God's grace. Whatever God has called you to do, he is faithful. He'll bring it about. You just got to trust in him. And so Paul says that he has his ministry by God's power and grace and that he is the least of God's people because he persecuted the church before he got saved. And then um, God called him to be uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. Remember the apostles are someone sent forth with the authority of the one who sent them. So an apostle is not just a missionary. An apostle is a missionary with the authority of the Lord Jesus himself who sent them. And so God called Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 7. Galatians 2 and verse 7. Galatians 2 and verse 7, Paul says, But on the contrary, when they, that's, uh, that's Peter, James, and John, the pillars uh, of the Jerusalem church, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, for the Gentiles, had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised, the gospel for the Jews, was to Peter... He said, for he who effectively worked effectively in Peter for his apostleship to the circumcised, the Jews, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. He, Paul is basically saying, Peter recognized that Paul had the same apostolic authority in his apostleship, but his apostleship was to the Gentiles, whereas Peter's was to the Jews. So God called... Uh, Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Look at Acts 9, verse 15. This is when Paul's on the road to Damascus and he wants to persecute Christians who are fleeing Jerusalem, going to Damascus, and then Jesus appears to Saul. He's called Saul of Tarsus at the time. And he gets converted. He 
you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus says, and well, who are you, Lord? Jesus of Nazareth. And it's like, oh, man, everything changes. And now Saul's going to, he's going to become the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. Now, he goes three days without sight, and he didn't eat or drink. And then um, in Damascus, uh, um, a disciple named Ananias is there, and Jesus wants him to uh, baptize Saul. And, you know, Ananias is thinking, now wait a minute here. This is the Saul who's coming to Damascus to kill Christians like me. So he's kind of like, you know, are you sure you, this is the right guy that you want me to baptize? And, um, uh, but in verse 15 there in Acts 9, but the Lord said to him, the Lord said to Ananias, go for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel. I'll add verse 16 there. Uh, the Lord said, For I will show him many things. That's those revelations that Paul was talking about. Uh, I will show how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Okay? He's telling him. You know, it's almost like Ananias is like, this guy has killed Christians. And now i got to baptize him? And it's like, hey, I've called this guy to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Don't worry, Ananias, he's going to suffer a lot. So it was almost like, it sounded like it was like, almost like a little bit reassuring that, hey, I'm aware that he suffered, that he caused people to suffer. He's going to suffer more than just about any other Christian. And, um, and then Romans eleven thirteen, and I think we'll be closing with this. Romans eleven thirteen. Paul says this, Romans eleven thirteen, For I speak to you Gentiles, the non-Jews, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. So he's saying, when I speak to the Gentiles and I lead Gentiles to Christ, uh, God is increasing my ministry, my impact on this unsaved world, leading Gentiles to Christ. But Paul was called by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, just as he was saved by God's power and grace, his ministry, being an apostle to the Gentiles, was by God's power and by God's grace. Now, we'll pick it up there at verse uh, 9 next week. Uh, But what I want to emphasize here in conclusion here. We've got to remember Jew and Gentile are equal heirs of salvation through Christ Jesus. Jews and Gentiles are equal heirs of salvation through Jesus. I'm telling you, um, we, we live in a day and age. I thought we were beyond it. When slavery ended, and then in the 1960s when we realized that, that uh, black Americans were not being treated fairly, and... Um, and we changed a lot of stuff. I thought we had finally... And then we elected uh, a black president twice. I thought we were beyond judging people by the color of their skin. And now all of a sudden comes critical race theory. Where all of a sudden, you're an oppressor if, you, if you're white, if you got one color of skin, and you're oppressed if you have another color of skin, and we're pitting people against other people. And then they call Christians racist... And you know what? We're the ones who say there's no Jew nor Greek. No Jew nor Gentile. That all human beings were created by our God. All human beings are fallen. But God the Son became a man and died on the cross for all mankind and desires all mankind to be saved. But he gives us the freedom. He draws us with his spirit, but gives us the freedom to trust in him or not. And then when we get saved, there's no Jew or Gentile. No slave or free. Christians are being slammed. We get called racist. When in reality, uh, the church uh, is probably the most integrated thing on the planet Earth. Um, we have Christians from all, from every 
different ethnicity on the planet Earth and we worship Jesus. And so this is a message we need to hear that we are equal heirs of salvation. If you're trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, you're my brother. You're my sister. Okay? Uh, Judge people by their character, not the color of their skin, as Martin Luther King Jr. once said. Judge them by their character. But how do you get good character from the heart? Only through faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's point number one. Jew and Gentile equal heirs of salvation through faith in Jesus. The Jews had to get used to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. We're all one in Christ. Number two, we should humbly serve the Lord. Nobody, nobody here was as bad as Paul was. Nobody here was, you know, went around killing Christians before we got saved. Okay? But the fact of the matter is, you know, not only did we not deserve to go to heaven before we got saved, guess what, brothers and sisters, we don't deserve to go to heaven right now. It's all of grace. Unmerited favor. So we, so we should humbly serve the Lord. I don't even deserve to serve the Lord, let alone salvation. I don't deserve to serve, serve the Lord. It's an honor to serve the Lord. And then when you do something right, when you're serving the Lord, that was His power. You know, you don't, it's not, you don't sing with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Uh, point number three, we should not be ashamed to suffer for Jesus. You know, we're, we're a bunch of Americans. We're crying, American Christians, because somebody called us names. You know? I don't even post stuff on Facebook anymore. It, I go through Messenger, private stuff, so that I don't get, you know, 150 people calling me all kinds of names and stuff like that. It just, it's just insane. But, but we we got to get thicker skin. We, we should not be ashamed to suffer for Jesus. We speak the truth in love. And if that's not good enough for the world, let them call us names. Okay, I don't care. I'll be totally honest with you. I don't care if the world calls me a bigot, a racist, intolerant, homophobic. I don't care what the world calls me. I just care that Jesus calls me His own. Okay, and so you got you got to decide. Like Paul, Galatians one ten. I could either please man or I could please the Lord Jesus. I can't please both. The world hates Jesus. So as for me and my house, we're going to serve King Jesus. Amen. And then number, number four, we'll look at next week that we need to grow spiritually in God's love, power, and knowledge. We'll talk about that. But, but if you're a believer, that the only way to divide mankind, and Jesus said he came to make division, is between believers and non-believers. It doesn't matter what ethnic group you're from. All that matters is that you love and serve the Lord Jesus and you're trusting in Him for salvation. We're all equal heirs of salvation through faith in Jesus. We should humbly serve the Lord and we should not be ashamed uh, to suffer for Jesus. Okay, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord, and we just pray, Lord, that, uh, that the world, like you say, that the world would know that we're your son's disciples, by our love for one another. So make us united in Christ. There's a lot of variety within the body of Christ, but our unity in Christ uh, is, should be overwhelming. And I pray, Lord, that we would humbly serve you, that we would understand that it's, it's a gift, the ministry that you've given us to serve you. It's a gift from you, and that the power comes from you. Um, as well, and um, and I just pray, Lord, that uh, we would never, ever be ashamed of Your Son, the Lord Jesus. That the world could hurl insults at us and call the Bible a book of hate speech, could ridicule Christians, and um, I pray that we would never, ever be ashamed of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became one of us, suffered alongside of us, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead to conquer death for us, and we long for the day 
but our King, our Savior. We long for the day when He returns to take His stand upon the earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.